Welcome to Writer Someday to Author Today, where we give you the story beginning to end. And today we have author Jennifer Gordon. Now she's a brand new author, just released her first book. And what was the title of that book, Jennifer? Uh, it is called Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent. Wow. So that's a lot just in the title. So It's uh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but you haven't always been an author. You know, you've, you've had uh, a, a pretty full uh, career so far. Uh, is that not correct? Uh, I have. I have. Um, uh, I, I feel like I've done a million jobs that nobody thinks are jobs uh, in my life. And I, I credit that because I went to school for theater. And I've always had to just, you know, we do what we do. We're like a little bit like carny hucksters. So I've in the past been a magician's assistant and I've had real jobs where I work at art galleries and uh, I'm a ballroom dancer and I'm a performer. So it's uh, I've, I've done a lot of everything, but I've, I've always been a writer, just not a published writer <laughs> or published novelist, I should say. And it sounds like you, you're one of those people that just needs a lot of creative outlets and you've been able to turn that pretty much into a career. I have, I have. I think it's because I can't do math and I don't understand spreadsheets and I could never get a job at maybe like a bank or a computer company. So I've, I've really made the best of uh, my skill set, which is probably too much creativity in a very short person's body. <laughs> so what, what made you uh, think about writing? I mean, was it just, you know, you're thinking of a story one day, decide to jot it down, or was this something that you've always been working towards? Uh, so uh, the thing with, I've always written. I've, I've always fancied myself a writer in some way, shape, or form. I was that, that girl in seventh grade who got picked on and she couldn't eat in the cafeteria with the other kids because they threw things at her. And I had a lovely seventh grade teacher who let me eat lunch in her classroom as long as I was doing something English related. So I would write very long stories and she would give me extra credit. And I fell in love with writing then. And I've dabbled in it over the years from poetry to a little bit of journalism, writing for newspapers. And uh, I wrote a comic book for a little while that I self-published. So I've always, I've always been writing. And uh, this book, my, my novel, Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, actually came into my head in its original form about 20 years ago when I was going to school for acting and I thought that it would be a really great play and I tried to write it as a play and it didn't work at all. So it sort of lived on the back shelf in my mind for about 20 years. So this is a, a long development for a story. You, you must have put <laughs> a lot into that. Um, I did. I did because I tried again uh, about 10 years out of college uh, to write it as a graphic novel, but I couldn't find an artist that uh, was willing to work for free to help me get this published. So I had it storyboarded out as a graphic novel. Again, not in the form it is now, but you know, the beginning, middle, and the end were there. But it was, you know, it didn't work. It didn't work as a play. It didn't work as a graphic novel. 
And it, it wasn't until about, you know, six or seven months ago when I was trying to write a different book and kind of got stumped on that, that I said, oh, as, a, as an exercise, I'm going to try to write this story that I've wanted to write for 20 years. And uh, it, it just came out, <laughs> all of it. Well, how did you go from, you know, rewriting it or reformatting it to actually publishing? I mean, that, that for a lot of people is very daunting. It is very daunting. It was daunting for me. Um, I finished the first draft of my book uh, probably, I want to say, mid-November. And then I, I took place in uh, something called PitMad, which is a, a, a pitch thing on Twitter where everybody pitches their books and maybe agents or, or a publisher will like it, maybe they won't. So I spent a, a long time getting ready for that, creating uh, you know, a pitch for my book, how to write a query letter, how to make my book a real book. And, and that's the first time I kind of thought about, oh, uh, I, I could take this thing that I, that I have in my computer. And after a few more drafts, five or six, maybe I could probably get it published. Maybe if I'm lucky. So I took part in that. And then I, I, I sort of understood how to go about finding the right publisher and the right agents or the right people to, to stand behind you and be your cheerleaders with your book. So that's what happened there. After PitMad, I, I spent a few weeks researching people and publishers that I thought the book would have a good home in. And I, I, I pitched to people that I, I believed in that I thought could believe in me. How'd that turn out? I mean, was that a long process for you going through publishers? Did you have a lot of offers or? Um, I, I, so I, I know it's a very, very, very long process for many people. And I got turned down by, you know, almost every agent I approached, I got turned down by. But I did, at the end of the day, get offers from four different small press publishers, which for somebody who had only been pitching for a few months was incredible and crazy and nothing I ever thought could happen because everybody said it would take six months to find an agent or a year and then another year for them to maybe find you a publisher. So when I got interest from a few different publishers, uh, that was exciting. And then I, I kind of deep delved into who these publishers were. I looked at their other authors. I tried to see if their other authors were happy. I tried to see who the publishers were as people and that's how I found breaking rules. You know, Christopher had given me an offer. And then upon talking to him, Christopher is the publisher of Breaking Rules, for people who don't know. Uh, he's amazing. So just chatting with him, regular chatting, not even about the book, we realized we were both dancers. And uh, we both had a lot of similarities, uh, kind of in our history that has to do with art and dance. And something about it just felt so incredibly perfect. So I, I followed my gut and I'm very excited I did because it's a great company and he's very supportive and really believes in his authors. And he stood behind this book of mine, Beautiful, Frightening and Silent, that 
a lot of people might think is strange because it's technically horror, but it's also free verse poetry. And that's, yeah, he believed in me. <laughs> so besides the personal connection, what, what made uh, him as a publisher stand out to you versus other ones that have approached you? So I think because he's also an author that that hit me and he's very open with his story of it took him six months to write a book and six years to get it published. And by the time it was published, it wasn't really his words anymore. And, and for all the writers out there, like your words are everything. It's your soul. We wouldn't be writing if it was just fun <laughs> all the time. I mean, every character we write is part of us. So to have an editor perhaps take something that's part of you and change it into something that's not is terrifying. And I knew Christopher and I knew breaking rules wouldn't do that. They wouldn't change my story. They believed in me. Uh, they believed in the book and he respects artists in general. So you there know, was that. <laughs> I, I could go on all day, you know, about Christopher, you know, me personally, but, you know, as a company outside looking in, um, you know, my own personal journey, my wife actually published with him and, it, you know, the process was virtually painless. I mean, he, he tried to make things as easy as possible and was very responsive yes. and supportive, <laughs> you know, which makes a huge difference. And, you know, if, anybody's ever gone through, you know, the big five or any large publishing company, they can make things very difficult. You know, they have, they can, they, they, they can. I've heard that. Um, I obviously haven't experienced it, but I did experience, and this is not a publisher I'll name, but it was a publisher before I even had talked to Christopher that I was very excited about. I had kind of like a top 10 indie publishers, list in my head and and they along with breaking rules were on it and they were my first i'll say offer nobody can see me but i'm doing air quotes over off offer because they sent me a very long detailed description of all of their editors who had gone through my work and what they loved about it and what they hated about it and at the end of the day they said we would love to publish this except your main character who I love more than anything because he's my main character, uh, wasn't likable or funny enough. So if you could change him to be a little bit more likable and maybe funny, we'll publish this right away. And if anybody who is reading my book or even reads the blurb of my book, the main character, his wife and his son have just died in a car accident. So making him funny or quote unquote, more likable was very offensive to me because that wasn't the point of the story. You know, he's uh, going through a lot and the, all the reviews I've gotten on the book and all of my beta readers and even people who wanted to hate it, they could at least respect that. They saw the, the character's journey through grief and that's not supposed to be likable. Sometimes we do terrible things when we're sad. And see, you know, that's something that I've brought up before in the podcast is that, you know, even though a certain publisher may not like, you know, particularly pick up your work or if they want to change it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not good. 
It's just no, not exactly. what they're work, uh, looking for, and they're trying to adapt it to, to their taste. But And, yeah. you know, so, oh, I, I don't want to interrupt, but I got this note from a, a young agent at a very big firm, uh, and he was lovely. He was the first agent that requested, uh, after my query letter, he requested the first three chapters, and he requested the first 50 pages. Then he requested the whole manuscript. And at the end of the day, he said, I'm only allowed to sign one author per year, and it's January. I can't say I'm going to sign you and then cut off everybody else for the next year. If you're still a free agent up for grabs in like, you know, eight months, come back to me. So it's in the, in this business, it's, it's not just about personal taste. Sometimes it is about numbers and the strange odds it can be. You just have to find the very right person at the right time. And see, that's one thing that, that I do like about the whole process, because it's not necessarily about numbers. It's more about the author, you know, yes. which is one thing that I really respected. You know, he's Christopher and Breaking Rules Publishing is accepting of a wide variety of work, you know, what little bit that I've, I've been able to see myself. And that that eases a lot of tension for a lot of authors. You know, it, it's it takes a lot of the anxiety out of the equation, which is a good thing because it's it's um, hard to put yourself out there like that, especially as an author. That's that's putting part of your almost part of your soul into your book. It is, and, it is, and you know, uh, again, one of the reasons I even found Breaking Rules was because a he's open to submissions in a lot of different categories, and my category is gothic horror at least for this book and not, you know, like huge, crazy horror, but like traditional Gothic ghost story, the past is haunting the present horror. And it was hard for me to even find people that were looking for that. Everybody wants the next Stephen King. Everybody wants the next Dean Koontz, but there's not a lot of people out there looking for the next Shirley Jackson or the next Edith Wharton ghost story. And, and I saw that Christopher was publishing a lot of different kinds of horror and he had a horror anthology and all of it seemed as well respected as literary fiction or anything else. And I like that. <coughs> Sorry, I'm coughing. Now you have infected all of my listeners. Great. <laughs> I have asthma and allergies. I'm in a disinfected, empty dance studio. I, if they could believe me, I could I could film it right now. <laughs> well, it's the anxiety insane. level just went up a couple months. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Every time I cough, <laughs> I write horror. <laughs> but so, you know, how did you come about your story? Was it was it a personal experience? Was it uh, media that sparked the idea? What was it? Um. So. Every story is personal in a way. So there, there, there are aspects of my story that are incredibly personal to me. Grief, one thing. There is a character in the book who was in an abusive relationship, and that's something I survived. Um, so, so that was personal to me. But the original story, which, again, has, has changed so much over the years, but the original story was something... I think I heard, even now I can't really remember, again, 20 years ago, I was in college 
I was sitting around with some other theater dorky friends and we were talking about the worst things that our relatives have done. <laughs> and, and, and somebody said, and again, it's like a friend of a friend of a friend, a person in the group said, my uncle had a friend on the police force and his partner murdered his fiance the night they got married before they got married and the whole force covered it up. And that to me was weirdly the birth of this story, even though when you read the book, it has nothing to do with any of that. But all I could think of was what if somebody did something terrible and then he spent his entire life, a little bit of him thinking he was going to get caught. And what if that guilt manifested itself into the ghost of the woman that he, he wrongly murdered. And weirdly, that's like the, the, the B part, the, like the B story of my main story. And even then he wasn't a cop. We don't even know what happens, but that's where it started originally. I thought about if guilt could manifest itself into a ghost, what would that do to the person who felt guilty? It doesn't even need to be about a murder. In the case of my book, uh, my main character, Adam, uh, his, his wife and his son die in a car accident and he lives. So he has that guilt. And then what happens if his guilt manifests itself as, you know, his young son? <laughs> what does that do to somebody? So that's what so the book's about. Being on, the, being on the shelf for 20 years, you know, have you found that your story has changed throughout your own personal experiences? Uh, yes, uh, it, it changed even while I was writing it. I, I mean, my, my poor fiance, when I, when I go and I write, uh, I lock myself in our room and sometimes he can hear me. And I remember there was one moment where he could hear me frantically typing. And then I screamed, I can't believe he did that. And I had written it and I was writing it at the same time. And I just kept thinking, oh, he's making the wrong choice. He's doing the wrong thing. But but inspiration hit and uh, <laughs> and my character got a life of his own. So your pets are pretty much used to it, right? Just a sudden outburst. Oh, golly. Um, I would say this. My puppy, my two-year-old puppy is still not used to this. He, if the door is even open a crack, I could share a video with your listeners of him just laying and barking directly at my face until I pay any kind of attention to him. He's <laughs> not gotta, used to it. That's got to be distracting. <laughs> He's very distracting. Again, we can, we can add a video to this. The dog is very adorable, but incredibly distracting. And then if you ignore him long enough, he'll just jump directly onto you or the computer, which isn't helpful. No, but it does release stress. You know, when you're in that difficult part, <laughs> you don't know what you're going to read next. There you go. You got a little <laughs> bit of a distraction. I know. I'm like, oh my gosh, he deleted a paragraph. Oh. <laughs> a writing guide dog. Oh, he's not. Uh, he's lovable, but he's not that smart. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, your main character is male, correct? Uh, his name's Adam. So, yeah, he's he male. Yeah. Did you have a difficult time writing from a male perspective? And did you have to do a lot of uh, research, quote unquote, for that? Um, uh, so I didn't do a lot of research. 
I did, I hate to say this, I tried to take any of the sexuality out of it because it, it, because he's so, and again, this is not a spoiler, he's so grief stricken at the beginning of the book and, and, and throughout most of it that him being a man or a woman is not as important as his relationship with his family was. And I guess I wanted to show that father relationship in a way that was so incredibly deep because he lost his son and his wife. Um, I think a lot is written about, about women's loss because we're sometimes more vocal about how we feel and, and this character, because I'm from new England Men and women here in New England stereotypically are not very open with their feelings. So he's a character who who can't express himself. So so all of it turns internal. And I don't think that's necessarily a male thing or a female thing. So I just wrote from a very human point of view. And I didn't even know he was going to become my main character in the first two versions of this, he was a supporting character and the ghost, the, the female ghost was the main character. And for some reason, Adam, my, my character this time, he just kind of took over and I'm glad he did because I love him as a character. <laughs> I miss him. I miss writing him. So it sounds like he was pretty in a pretty emotional state. So how did you, how are you able to bring out his personality when he's so, you know, new, you know, how do I want to put it? He's so um like like bottled in. Exactly. Uh there there are some flashback scenes to to times where he wasn't as bottled in. Uh but I I hate to say a lot of the story itself is very internal. So where he might be like a just walking through the steps of life, seemingly not feeling anything, inside his head, he feels things. He remembers things. So a lot of the story is very much connected to that. And then uh, he is... Again, not a spoiler alert. You know what? If you read the black back blurb, uh, he's an alcoholic and he is in recovery. So he spends a lot of time with people who are also as damaged as him. And sometimes he tells them the truth. Sometimes he doesn't. But but it allows him, I think, to at least in his head begin to understand his emotions, even though the characters around him might not. That's a lot of words. I'm sorry. Sorry, listeners. No, you're fine. This is so, <laughs> all about words. I mean, it's about authors and books. Of course it's about I know. Words. And I hate, so you are from North Carolina. I'm from New Hampshire. And these are almost two different worlds. New England is the home of like weird Gothic repression when it comes to books. 
Honey, so, I'm from the South. You want to talk about repression? I'll, I'll oh, no. It's belt. different. Okay. <laughs> it's different because I have family from the South, and I'm not going to fight you on it. I know it's just as repressed, but in a different way. <laughs> you get a lot the of same way we're hearts. differently repressed than the people who are in the show Downton Abbey. <laughs> You're right about that. You know, I, we're all repressed. It's just a different kind. Exactly. Some are more polite. Uh, the New England repression is a little frowny faced. It's definitely soaked in whiskey and Catholic guilt. <laughs> and and see, the Southern's more with a smile on your face and a bless your heart. <laughs> yes, it is. I was going to say, again, uh, so my name's Jennifer, but my full name's actually Jennifer Ann. And uh, I was very close to becoming a Marianne or a Kellyanne. <laughs> But my father, who was hardcore New Hampshire, said, those names are not for my daughter. She'll just be named Jennifer, like everybody else in the world. Well, see, I got lucky. My grandfather's name was Carl Floyd. And then my father's name was William Lloyd. And I was so lucky not to get an oid. I got William David. Thank goodness. (laughs) Yeah, that's very good. So my father was a New Hampshire Andrew James Gordon Jr. And when they thought I was going to be a boy, I would have been Andrew James Gordon III. And I feel like they didn't give too much uh, thought into like what to name a girl until the last minute. And they said, ah, Jennifer. (laughs) Oh, but that would have been epic. That's like a comic book character, right? I know. I know. Andrew James Gordon III is somebody I feel like who would have been a mayor of a town like outside of Gotham, like outside of where Batman controls, but like still like a supporting character that could be kind of cool. So through your work, have you ever written anything and went, huh, you know, I didn't realize I felt that way. Oh, um, (laughs) I think I'm in the midst of writing an entire novel about that. So, um, yeah, yeah. The book I'm writing currently is, I I thought it was going to be just kind of straight historical fiction. And now I think there's a little bit of angry woman coming out in me. Not, Not too angry because it's Victorian. So polite angry. There's, there's some polite anger coming out. So we're not talking a last more set angry. No, no. Even though everybody in the 90s used to say I looked like her. No. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, pill to swallow. (laughs) Oh, no. A a pun. Are you a punster? Oh, yes, I am. And I've got a song for everything. It's, you know, I'll hear a phrase. It'll remind me of a song. And, you know, I'll make a pun song out of it. Oh, gosh. I'm going to name drop somebody right now just because when he hears this, he'll be so excited. Uh, My friend, Boy Sam. It's very important that I say Boy Sam because his uh, fiance is Girl Sam. Uh, My friend, Boy Sam, is a punster and he communicates with me, I want to say 80% in puns. And I try not to laugh because it encourages him, but he'll be very excited that he just got like a name drop on this podcast so if they got married in the summer would it be the summer of sam (gasps) oh my gosh they are getting married this summer well now i know how to plan a party 
There you go. <laughs> <laughs> They'll hate it. They'll be like, I'm going to see them in about two hours. So I'm going to tell them I have the theme for your wedding. <laughs> They're going to say, what have, where did you come up with this? Why did you do this to us? <laughs> so creatively, well, I love serial killers. Yeah, you and my wife got that in common, which scares the crap out of me. But, <laughs> I kind you know, of thought you know. we did. I always joke that I'm just waiting. One day it'll happen. I'm just waiting. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. My poor fiance, every time he says, what are you watching on Netflix? I'm like, oh, it's a documentary on how a wife murdered her husband and got away with it. He's just looking a little scared each day. Well, yeah, because they give good tips on there which scares the crap out of me but anyway (laughs) (laughs) for the record everybody who's listening i am very kind i don't even hurt bugs i take them outside (laughs) sometimes i i look at people and say i will murder you if you keep chewing that loudly but i would never hurt like a bug (laughs) (laughs) i hear you Creatively, what else are you working on right now? As you said, you're a ballroom dancer. I mean, are, are you doing that actively? I mean, what, uh, what else I are you I am doing that doing? actively. I'm not doing it currently actively right now so much during this whole um, quarantine thing. But uh, my fiance, who is also my dance partner, he and I perform all over New England Uh, We perform and we teach, and we also teach at an amazing dance studio in Concord, New Hampshire called the Let's Dance Studio, where we we teach ballroom lessons, we teach performance classes. So I'm always very, very actively choreographing and teaching. And uh, I'm a brand new Zumba instructor, so I'm also choreographing those things. But all of that's a little slowed right now because we're not supposed to leave our houses. Okay, so I, I got a request. I want a video of you and your Zoom class reading your book while doing Zoom. Oh my gosh, I will because my Zumba class, uh, the ladies who I take Zumba with, because I'm still just an apprentice, I'm still just learning uh, how to teach Zumba, most of them bought my book. So I will, I will tell them that I got a request from you to, uh, to, to do Zumba. I think they could do the routine I lead holding their books. So. Well, I'll see, get that to you. It's got to be one of those really, really emotional, like down kind of moments while you're doing Zumba because you're. <laughs> oh, I know. And then they all start weeping. Yes. Weeping, gotta... but still moving their hips. Right. <laughs> still burning calories. You can cry, read, dance, and burn calories all at the same time. It's an all in one therapy solution. It really is. I'm not going to lie. I've been teaching ballroom dancing for a long time. And a lot of my students over the years have said, you're cheaper than a therapist. Because <laughs> I dance with them and I hear, um, you know, a fair share of problems. <laughs> if you don't have insurance, a ballroom dance teacher is cheaper. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and you'll learn how to do the foxtrot. And you'll have all... you'll. As you're doing the class, you'll wonder where you're getting all those ideas at, which will kind of make you nervous at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have a, a book that I've been working on that is uh, eight. Uh, it's called And Five, Six, Seven, Eight, and it's eight essays about teaching ballroom dance. But it's not about anybody I know that I'm currently teaching. <laughs> That's the disclaimer. 
So where can people find out more about you, Jennifer? Where can they find your work and uh, more about you personally? Oh, more about me personally. Let's start with the work first. Um, I My book is available on the Breaking Rules website. It's also available on Amazon, and that's my book, Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent. Uh, you can stalk me on Facebook. Uh, my name is Jennifer Ann Gordon Author. That is my author page on Facebook. If you're weirdly interested in ballroom dance and performances, uh, Roman and Jennifer on Facebook. That's my partner and I. And uh, we also have our website, which is romanandjennifer.net, which has everything from paintings to performances to photography to art modeling and a little bit of writing thrown in there too. Awesome. And I'm on Twitter, but I, I don't update it very much. I think I'm, I, I can't even really remember my name. I think it's at Jennifer Ann Go 5. I'm not sure. If you can find that, please follow it. Every once in a while, I post a really cute video of my dog. <laughs> Reading your book? <laughs> he doesn't read. Other animals read my books. My dog does not read. Well, I've seen a lot of posts with animals reading your book. So <laughs> There's a lot. I don't know. You know, I jokingly told people, um, you know, in my acknowledgments and in on Facebook and stuff, if you buy my book, snap a picture of yourself reading it. And then, and then somebody I didn't know actually messaged me and she said, I want to support you and send you a picture, but I hate getting my picture taken. And, and again, I jokingly said, well, take a picture of it with your cat or your dog. And, and she did. And, and then a lot of people started doing that. So it's predominantly cats so far. There was one dog family portrait, uh, which I was very excited about. But I would love to see some chickens or maybe a horse. Well, you know, Mr. Ed's Oats. locked up during the quarantine. So maybe we can shoot him a copy. Oh, yeah, we definitely could. Well, Jennifer, it's been so much fun talking with you. I appreciate you being on the podcast today. And Thank you, you know, so much. Sorry for the coughing. Again, anybody who knows me in real life, because you're going to be listening to this, I'm not sick. It's just asthma and allergies. Well, thank you, Jennifer. And you know, again, you. Uh, you can find her newest book at breakingrulespublishing.com.